We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. You know, I, I think that both in, in terms of writing and in terms of television appearance, I always imagine that I am talking to the old people that I grew up around in rural Louisiana. And if I'm talking to somebody who's defending uh, the killing of a black man, how would those old people respond just like this? And so whatever, it, you know, so I, uh, but, it, but it keeps me centered in knowing that I am not trying to protect the check. I am not moderating my behavior in order to maintain access, to maintain status or maintain position. This is the honest me. Sometimes I am not for it. And when I'm not for it, you're gonna find I'm not for it. And that's what it is. But I go home after that I sleep well because if I had something on my chest and need to get it off, I got it off. Charles Blow is a brilliant guy, New York Times, CNN, and his new book, The Devil You Know, poses a very interesting question. He says, if half of the black people who live outside of the South were to move back to the South, black people would attain a dominant political position in the South. We would elect senators, we would elect governors, we would elect the mayors we want, and we would be able to deal with and perhaps solve many of the political societal problems we have. So would you be willing to move south to help black people in general attain more political power? Really fascinating question. We dig into that and Charles Blow's personal media Mission, which goes back to, I grew up poor, so I don't care if I become poor again. I'm going to say whatever the mm, I want to say, which I love. And that's part of why he said so many things that have been so deeply meaningful to me through his platforms, his books, his television work, and his work at the New York Times. It is an honor to once again Talk to my man, Charles Blow. You get half of this awesome conversation for free for the whole thing. Go to patreon.com slash show. It is worth it. Charles Blow is the man, and we get into it. Let's get into it here. It's Charles Blow on Torre Show.
I love this book because it's not this high-minded intellectual analysis of what's going on. You are putting a flag in the ground. I have a big idea. I want you guys to do something. You're like this modern sort of Marcus Garvey, like, here's my call to action. Let's go back home. Um, you know, and I'm reading Isabel Wilkerson, so it's an interesting sort of like counter. Um, you are saying that if 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 half of the black people who live outside of the South in America moved back to the South, we would have an outsized amount of political power in this country. Is that is that your argument? Absolutely. And. So, so I, I mean, you got to sell it to me a little bit because I feel you, but I'm not from the South. You're from Louisiana. I'm not from the South. I grew up in Boston. <laughs> I live in New York. I went to Emory. So I feel Atlanta, but I'm yes. like, I, 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 don't, I don't know about moving to the South, man. But then you, you, you start the book with a quote from James Baldwin. There's no difference between the North and the South. There's just different ways that they castrate you. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming hard from day from page one. You're coming hard. Uh, well, talk to me about what I mean, like make a pitch like black America is listening. Why yes. are you like, you know, you're in a you're in an auditorium. Black America's there. Charles Blow comes to say, let's move south, y'all. What? What? Yes. What you talking about, Charles? I, I, I feel you. But what are you talking about? Well, if, if I were pitching it, I would say like I would put it this way. Aren't you tired, exhausted of not having the power to do the things that you want to have done? Are you not exhausted having to march every time another black person is killed by the police only to have those police either not be charged at all or exonerated? Are you not tired of having your concerns overlooked until election time when they only need you to excite you enough to break a tie when the white people split roughly down the middle? Are you not tired of not being able to really impact mass incarceration, which is largely a state and local issue? Are you not tired of looking into your children's textbooks and realizing that they do not fully incorporate the history and the beauty of your blackness? And knowing that it is on the state level that they buy textbooks and they could have bought different ones. Are you not tired? If you're not tired, stay where you are. But we're tired. We're definitely tired. But you want half of us to move to the, what is it, 10 states that we generally think no, I identify nine. Nine states that we generally think yes. of as the South. Well, not the, not all that we generally think of the South. These are very strategic. These are states where the black population is already 25 percent or more. They stretch across. They do not include Texas, which is a southern state, do not include Florida, which is a southern state or Miss or Tennessee. So it's uh, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland and Delaware. And Delaware. Delaware is a southern state. Okay, I have never thought of Delaware as a southern state, but that's let's. And it's also the blackest, the eighth blackest state in America. Delaware, Delaware. I did not know that. So you're saying that we are so close to political dominance in those states that if a significant portion of us left New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, et cetera, 
we could have we could have the things that we want in the south absolutely absolutely all right let me start at a bigger level yes uh, in terms of the electoral college would we because yes. it, pennsylvania and michigan uh and illinois are consistently democratic because of chicago philadelphia maybe pittsburgh and detroit and maybe Flint, would we be risking that? Because that that's a tremendous number of electoral college votes. Well, let, let me say a, a couple of things here. Number one, when I say black power, I do not mean political party power, neither Democrat nor Republican. I mean p- enough power to influence the electoral system to get the outcome that you want. When you look at the uh, criminal uh, issue of criminal justice, particularly over the last 20 years, it has been both Democrats and Republicans who have betrayed black people on the issue of uh, of uh, 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 mass incarceration and criminal justice. So what you want is not necessarily a perfect alignment with the political party. You want enough power to influence both of them to do what is in your interest. That is the first thing. The second thing is uh, do not confuse them needing you to break the tie when black people, basically, white people basically split down the middle as having real political power. They simply need to excite you around election time. If they believed that you were central to uh, their appeal, when Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, they would have gone to the black community and said, okay, what did we do that failed you? How can we craft policies that will be better for you to make you excited about coming out to vote because it will actually change your life? That is not what they did. You and I both know it. What they did was they spent two years talking about uh, economic anxiety around a white middle class that could somehow uh, vote for Barack Obama in one election and Donald Trump in the next. That is who they thought had the power. That is what power looks like. Listen to who they appeal to when they lose. And that will tell you who has the power. So this would galvanize black political power because it would put us in a smaller number of states, a higher concentration. Absolutely. Because see the, 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 the whole constitution is a compromise. Uh, They assign half of the power based on population and half of it based on geography. You're never going at 14% of the population. You're never going to uh, uh, gain power that way. You can gain it, however, on a geographic front. Uh, there are right now like six or seven states where white people are 90% of the population. But that whole, that all those states put together only about 4% of the population in the United States, and yet they control one out of every six Senate seats. Because part of the power is geographic. It doesn't matter how many people there are. There are four times as many black people in America as all those states combined. But because of the geography of black people, they don't control a single Senate on their own. But those those seven, six, seven states control one out of every six Senate because it's all about geography. Do you live in the South now? I do. I live in Atlanta. When did you move to Atlanta? Because you were in Brooklyn for a long last time. Last January. Yes, oh, last January. So this is new for you living in Atlanta. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and you had lived in Brooklyn for, what, two some yes. decades before that? Yes, yes. So, <clears throat> Is there what, what is the attending cultural pitch, right? Because it can't just be political power. Let's go right. I mean, like you can't get 
several million right. people to to make that sort of a move without i mean right what is the cultural side of the pitch it, it, people it, migrations have never strictly been about political power although the the migration of young hippies to vermont was in large part about political power uh but it is it is always attended primarily by economic opportunity i i uh believe that the economic opportunity for black people is very strong in the south in the very way it was very strong in the north when they first migrated when you look at the the um uh, places where the black middle class are thriving, that list is full of Southern cities. When you look at where uh, black owned businesses predominate, that region of the, of the country is the Southeast. You know, if you look at all of these metrics, but what we get, we lose that because we start to look at it and say, oh, well, aren't, you know, seven of the poorest states in this, with highest poverty rates in the city, uh, in the country, in the South. Yeah, but you're not looking at black poverty rate. The black poverty rate in New York City is higher than the black poverty rate in Mississippi. I mean, you also make the point that the the Great Migration robbed the South of a lot of great uh, black people. Not that there's not great black people in the South, but a lot of the great black people are many, left. Many of them remain. Yeah. Well, I, well, I make the point more specifically, and I think some people missed the 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 finer point here was that in the very first years of the migration something like 90% of the people who move were young black men. And that in the very first years, that was a seismic, had a seismic effect on the South. Over the course of the Great Migration, which lasted 60 years, that shifted more families. And at the end, I think it was more women. I mean, there's a line in here where you talk about basically, look, we're going to get racism in the North and the South, at least in the South, we get a yard, <laughs> right? Yes. And that sort of cultural part of it that, uh, you know, the, the South, uh, in terms of Atlanta, in terms of New Orleans, in terms of some other places, are extraordinary cultural cities, and you get more space for your dollar than you do in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. You get that, but you also get spaces where Blackness is centered. Mm. Right? Uh, the, the, for the entire time that Black people have existed on this patch of earth over 400 years the majority of them have lived in the south the lineage is long and therefore many of our oldest black institutions are actually in the south whether they be churches or hbcus or, or yes or social clubs or whatever they are they're in their southern institutions and it is a it is a, a mind-blowing thing to be able to walk through a cemetery as i am able to do and to see four and maybe five generations of great of headstones because you know that within a couple of miles of this spot is where your family has existed for centuries do you enjoy life in atlanta more than you did in brooklyn well no there's no life because it's a pandemic but of course, yes of course of course right 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 so but but you know there is you know a, a palpable feeling uh, of relief living in a space governed by blackness where the mayor is a black woman where the chief of belief was a black woman and i think now is a black man uh where you see the police and you don't your shoulders don't draw because you there you don't feel like you're being hunted you feel less afraid of the police in atlanta than you did in new york hands down 
You know, the, 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 the militarization of policing and the aggression of policing is not a modern Southern phenomenon. It's, it's, it is as if these destination cities, cities to which Black people migrated, adopted all of the old ways of the Southern power structure. In, during the Civil Rights Movement, the police were an integral part of oppressing and terrorizing the Black people who were seeking their freedom. Now, almost every uh, major city in all of those nine states that I pointed out, uh, many of them capitals, are Black majority cities. Most of those uh, cities have Black mayors. There are 1,200 majority Black cities in America right now. 90% of them are in the South. It changes the entire dynamic of municipal power. And so, yes, I feel very different about policing in this city. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. 
I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. Hey, peeps. It's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. You keep coming back to this great notion about, hey, there's racism in the North and racism in the South. I already talked about Baldwin saying that they castrate you differently up South than down <laughs> South. Um, you also talk about in the South, racism is an old man and in the North, it's a teenage boy. Can you just talk about the differences in racism North versus South that you're talking about in these, in these sentences? Well, I think, I think a lot of American racism has shifted away from, uh, uh, violent interpersonal uh, uh, exchanges into violent systemic exchanges, right? But the way those systems are operating in many of these destination cities, particularly as it relates to law enforcement, is exactly the way the old man of the South used to behave. So, you know, if you look at SWAT teams, that originated in California in part as a way as a response to the Black Panthers. Uh, when you had stop and frisk in your street, stop and frisk is not a Southern phenomenon. It is not a Southern phenomenon. It didn't exist in Birmingham and Jackson and Atlanta. It was in New York and it was exported to L.A. and it was exported to uh, Chicago, and where it became even more prevalent at a certain point than it was in New York. When you see the 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 most high profile killings of unarmed black people, for the most part, those are not in southern cities. Yeah, yeah. When do you say we? So this is how they castrate us through the police, through other systems. I mean, you know, I, I I feel you. I feel you. I'm still not ready to move south just yet. I think the maybe at the end of the conversation, I I think the the black <laughs> people in America who are the most politically disenfranchised are perhaps people who live in D.C. Right? Okay. They don't have senators. Right? They don't have Congress people. Um, is would would their moving be like primary like you guys got to go first because you guys are really getting screwed out of this whole system well i do not list uh dc for those reasons i do not list dc the destination city no no to leave no they gotta leave you gotta leave DC. right i do not right i don't i don't listen to them as a destination city for people to migrate to and i do believe that uh for anyone uh uh who was able to uh Increasing the black population of Maryland, which is right across the border, uh, is a good thing. Uh, that said, I believe that uh, increasing um, the black uh, number of black people in the Senate, increasing increasing the number of people, regardless of race, who are elected by coalitions that are led by black people, increase the possibility 
that not only DC, but also Puerto Rico could gain statehood. When did this start? Did this, I, I'm sure this started before you moved to Atlanta. This meaning? This book. Oh, yes. I wrote the book proposal three years ago. So where would, would I mean, did this, was this started as an intellectual exercise or is there, is it the, the Southern boy that still lives in you that was like, you know what? That makes sense. No, it was one of those things where you just like sit down and say, let me see if I can write a book proposal and, and a week later and no food and 25,000 words, there's something in front of you, you know what it is. Uh, and, uh, but I, you know, I've been trying to people, now you're not the first person to ask this question. I've been trying to track down the genesis. And I believe that it, it had come into my consciousness at the time what had happened in Vermont, but where this had been successfully done by a, young, a bunch of young white hippies. So in 1972, two Yale college students write in the Yale Law Review a paper called Jamestown 70. Uh, and in it, they argue to other young white people, uh, the way that you are protesting uh, against the war and whatever is not where you're going to lead to revolution. What, what you can do is something that we call radical federalism. You can actually just take over state, just move. And this kind of, it was a small paper, it languished, and a, and a more prominent writer picked it up, writes in Playboy under a headline that's something like, you know, take over Vermont, lays out the math, and tens of thousands of young white hippies move to Vermont. And they change the state of Vermont from one of the most conservative states in America to now, the you know, one of the most liberal. It gave Barack Obama his highest percentage of the white vote in 2008. It produced people like Bernie Sanders. They basically changed Vermont from New Hampshire into Vermont. So the success of it was striking to me how uh, that it's a legal thing to do, that it is revolution without bloodshed, that it is, you know, that, that, that it was possible. And just from and from that, wrapping in the other elements of why people migrated in the first place and how those conditions are almost inverted now and make the South attractive made, was a genesis of a book. But if we, if we all go into one state, we all went to Atlanta, uh, that would be, that would be counterproductive, right? That would be too much concentration. We need to be spread out among eight or nine states to have the full impact, right? Yeah, I think that that, that is optimal. But I do believe having a, a state like Georgia, for instance, serve as proof in concept is important. You know, like, what, you know, two things happened in Georgia in this last election. One was amazing organizing. Some of it had been happening for decades, but some of it is obviously uh, connected to recent efforts, including by Stacey Abrams, who's an amazing person. But the other thing was reverse migration. Mm-hmm. It had been, uh, you know, the black population of, Atlanta, of Georgia doubles from 1990 to 2020 from 1.7 million people to over 3.4 million people. The last time it, Georgia went for a Democrat was in, uh, in Bill Clinton in 1992. Uh, but black people were not the majority of that coalition because they were only 25% of the population then. They had 33% of the population now. And, they, and if you leave, believe the exit polls, that made them the majority of the coalition. That was This was the first time in the entire history of the Senate that black people with a majority of a coalition that elected a U.S. senator. And they didn't just elect one, 
they elected two. So we should expect Georgia to continue being blue for the foreseeable future? Uh, listen, th- this is a reverse migration is the Revolutionary Act. There's no such thing as a Revolutionary Act without risk or resistance. There is tremendous res- resistance to what happened here in Georgia in this last election and a tremendous backlash to it. The state legislature is still uh, Republican dominated, white male dominated. And they are rushing to uh, uh, pass as many laws as they can to uh, to suppress voting in every way that they can. And what we know about voter suppression, it is largely aimed at black people. Uh, And voter suppression also has an income inequality angle. So what they use is the fact that blackness is so heavily associated with poverty that they can simply attach their voter suppression to poverty restrictions, right? So you, if you don't have two two uh, IDs, that's a problem. That's really an issue of poverty. That's not really an issue of color. But because uh, uh, poverty and blackness are heavily associated, they can attract it that way and avoid the appellation of racism. Yeah, I mean, like, if this were to begin, you would have even more GOP uh voting rights shenanigans um, which they have used surgically according to various courts to keep us from voting so that would be a a tie that you'd have to fight against as well as but 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 it's already being fought against right the only reason that stacy abrams is not now the governor of of georgia is because in that election they surprised they suppressed the vote but black people still came out and overcame the suppression efforts that were already in place. Now they're just adding more. What I'm saying is you're always going to be fighting that until you actually take it over. It's a real estate revolution that you're talking about. And a lot mm-hmm. of us don't really have that much money. And it seems like one of the soldiers that you would need in this are black people who are willing to become developers, willing to become uh, real estate investors, to be buying houses and making sure that I'm going to rent these homes to black people to participate in, let's call it blowism, right? So it can help help facilitate black people coming because, you know, the real estate pushback will be coming a, a moment later. That is not necessarily true. When black people, particularly in the early stages of the Great Migration, moved, they moved literally with whatever they could put in a suitcase. They didn't move because they had real estate waiting for them. They didn't know where they were going to stay in many cases. They were they they, they stacked up in boarding houses in many cases. They called many of those trains the Chicken Bone Express. They literally took whatever food they could take on the train, whatever belongings they had that they could fit in a suitcase, and that is all they had. When those young white people moved into uh, Vermont, they didn't move because they had real estate. They didn't move because. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus 
a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Toray for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. They had apartments. In fact, they, many of them slept in the fields. They developed communes in order to be able to sustain themselves. My, migrations are, are almost never about uh, how comfortable it's going to be on the other end. If you look at the Dust Bowl, it wasn't about how those people were moving because they knew exactly what was going to be on the other end. When people moved because of the gold rush, they all moved with possibility in mind, but not because they already had a place to stay and a job to, to work at. What so is- that is not necessarily the case. Okay, but 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 having real estate folks on your side within this would be helpful and important. It be, no, it would be incredibly helpful. I'm just I'm just stipulating that that is not the case. In fact, when black people moved to Chicago, that's why you got racial covenants. It's also why you got blood. The the, the rise of, uh, of of red summer in Chicago was because every time that black people tried to move out of what they called the black belt in Chicago, they were met with violent res, uh, uh, resistance. So it's not that it is a precondition. It is that it would be incredibly helpful. I think there's something deep in my soul that I hadn't even fully thought about until this conversation that leaving the South was part of our maturation as a people. And like my grandmother was from Alabama and it was like she moved to New York and that was part of us moving forward, you know, and then my dad starts to grow up in Harlem and do his thing different side of the family, but still like, this is the the movement that we are mirroring. We're in Alabama, then we're in Harlem. Now we're I'm in Brooklyn, where you were until very recently. Brooklyn is like, you know, what Harlem was 50, 80 years ago. Um, so, and, and I know the migration to Atlanta has been happening for years and it's sexy and it's beautiful and it's empowering and it's cultural plus political. But I do, I think, I feel like something in my soul is like, wouldn't that, and I know it's not, but I'm like, wouldn't it be taking a step back? Like, we left the South to move forward, and now you want to go back to the South? Yes, but I want I want you, so when we both lived in Brooklyn, we uh, occupied a particular strata of Blackness in New York City that a lot of Black people in New York City do not ever experience, right? Uh, as I said before, the black poverty rate in New York City is higher than the black poverty rate in Mississippi. Right. New York is one of the most segregated cities in America. It has New York State has the most segregated school system in the country, largely because of the segregation in the schooling in New York City. New York City gives us stop and frisk 
where at, at the height of it, they were stopping and frisking and basically abusing and violating the bodies of more young black and brown men than there were black and brown men in New York, which they were doing several people more than once. And when Quinnipiac would ask the white, the, the citizens of New York, if they agree with this, knowing that there was a, that downside, the majority of white people in New York City said that they agree with it. What I ask people in New York and any other destination city is how included are you? How truly included are you? When I look out at the skyline of New York City, it is a magnificent thing to behold. But I also see a skyline that uh, is built and sometimes on the backs of Black people, but rarely by Black architects or by financing. Black, the, the, their, institute, their cultural institutions built in some ways on the backs of Black people, but also built to exclude Black people. I see Black neighborhoods that grew up uh, almost in flight. You know, the Black population of Manhattan moves constantly up from lower Manhattan again and again and again, always because they're being, almost always because they're being terrorized out of the place that they are, or the city basically takes it over and raises it. Maybe some well-off Black people are experiencing a New York that is very different than people who are struggling. One of the things I love about you is that um, you use your platform in media as almost like a ministry. Like there is a purpose when Charles Blow shows up in the New York Times or shows up on CNN. It's not just, look at me, I'm shining up here, but like, I have a point to make. I am almost in service of the community. I am a representative for the community. You don't get to be here. I get to be here. So I'm going to bring, and not just the ideas, but the righteous passion, right? We've seen you get angry because you believe in the idea so much. And you're a man after my own heart in that, like, I try to use my platform in terms of, like, service. I feel like I'm there for others um, standing on the shoulders of others. And is that something that's conscious for you that like, I get to have this platform, I need to be in service of others who don't get to use this microphone at the New York Times at CNN? Well, I do think that, uh, particularly as a writer, but I think also as a television figure, you have to uh, write what you know and what you're passionate about. I know vulnerability. So it is easy for me and also important for me to stand up for other people who are vulnerable. Uh, and also, um, you know, I always, you know, I grew up incredibly poor, but, but I was happy in the, the poor place where I was. And I always tell myself, if all this blows up, I can go back there and still be happy. So the, the I think part of uh, what, what, People, black people who are successful have to always remind themselves of is that you cannot be beholden to the comforts of white adjacency. Mm, wow. Right? Uh, the moment that uh, it, we make our brightest minds so comfortable and so addicted to the check that they are no longer willing to risk 
no longer willing to stand up and speak truth to uh, truth to power, then they have been defanged and that they have been addicted. And we lose all of the people who would otherwise be our generals in, 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 in a resistance to luxuries. For more from me and Charles Blow, including a deep look into why he feels empowered to say whatever he wants on the media stage, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thank you so much to Charles Blow for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, and Theotokos. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.